Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. And while you're turning, uh, <clears throat> I want to give you a, a little bit of an update of our friends in Haiti, particularly uh, Donnie St. Germain that is in Jeremy and his brother Louis that is a, a pastor in Kai's. Um, you have been given the website uh, to look for updates and I would encourage you to do that if you... Uh, need to get that, you can uh, call the, the church office, but it is uh, ESMI Home uh, for El Shaddai Ministries, and they are giving uh, updates. And this was uh, part of the update from yesterday. Jeremy, uh, that area where we have most recently worked, uh, the, the city was just devastated. And uh, the difficulty is uh, the people there live off the land, and uh, there's nothing to live off of now. Um, a major bridge uh, out of Port-au-Prince has collapsed, and so uh, there's difficulty just in terms of getting supplies. So uh, if you're interested in donating, we are donating directly to this ministry that we are most confident in. Uh, we work with them all the time. There's great accountability. One of our men is on the board uh, of that ministry, and we can give you information if you're interested. But uh, I, I want to share a little bit from the update yesterday. He, it's just called a quick update. Thank you for your ongoing prayers and financial support. Uh, they say cell phone service ba is back up in Jeremy, but sporadic. And then they say 3,000 people fed yesterday. Uh, and then their ministry will be, ESMI, will be going out to the more remote region of uh, Bonbon to set up food distribution. And uh, so they are going to various areas. So far as we know, the orphans uh, uh, were safe and those that are there in, in Jeremy. Uh, but then he ends with, with this. Uh, tomorrow... This was uh, put out yesterday. Sunday, our Haitian brothers and sisters will gather for worship. Roof or no roof, building or no building, they will meet on the site where they have always gathered as the body of Christ. To God be the glory. And so uh, they uh, are worshiping uh, now. Uh, just for, for context, they've probably been worshiping for a couple of hours already now. So uh, uh, for those of you that are feeling a little impatient, uh, uh, you should see the joy in the Haitian worship sometime and the patience there and their, their great joy in, in him. Paul, in our uh, study in the book of Romans has been addressing objections that he anticipates would come from uh, those who are familiar with the law as he is talking to them about salvation, justification, that is, by grace, through faith. But he knows that 
uh, when people have been just attached to the law and have seen that as their salvation, uh, that this is so radical for them that there will naturally come objections. And I have to sometimes wonder, since Paul had been a Jew, whether those might have even been some of his early on, or at least he certainly understood uh, that mind. He is uh, thinking of those who, uh, <clears throat> when we say the law, think Ten Commandments and then the, the expanded version of that, the exposition of the, the Ten Commandments where they uh, had law upon law. And so there would be those that had seen the law as their hope for salvation in a wrong way. They misunderstood it. But when they, they hear about grace, they wonder, well, how does, how does the law and grace fit together? If we're going to believe in grace, well, here's one objection he dealt with at the beginning of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So what they were saying, or what he anticipated they would say is, uh, well, should we, you know, if, if when we sin, grace abounds and God gets the glory, then maybe we should live a lifestyle of sin, and that will give God more glory. And his answer, of course, is, may it never be. God forbid. You can't do that. And then... He deals with that. And in the middle of chapter 6, another objection. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And here he uses a little bit of different phraseology in the original language. And the idea is not should we live a lifestyle of sin, but shouldn't we be able to get a day off here and there? if grace is really abounding. And of course, he, he deals with that in, in the rest of chapter 6. And he goes on into chapter 7, continuing to answer that objection. Now remember, back in, just by way of context, back in chapter 5, he had talked about how we are all in Adam. He was our our federal head, our representative. And so when sin came into the world, we, we sin. We are sinners. So we're in union with Adam or in union with Christ by trusting in Him alone for our eternal life. There's no in-between. There are no other choices. You either remain in union with, with Adam and that brings death. Or you're in union with Christ. And that brings eternal life. Now he had used the answer that in Christ we died to sin. So sin should no longer be our master. Then he used the illustration. This is what we dealt with last week. That uh, <clears throat> we are slaves to something or someone. you got to serve somebody. And, he, he, and so basically, there's the, the two camps again. 
So he's dealt with those. He has dealt with what we call antinomianism. Remember that? Where those who uh, would totally ignore uh, the law and revel in sin that grace may abound. That's what he was dealing with in, in these other questions. And now he's going to continue on. Do you get the idea this is an important subject? This is the third angle he's, he's taken it from. He's continuing on, and in this passage, he uses another illustration that will make sense to those in Rome and to us, and that's marriage. But now, instead of the, the antinomians that would want to ignore the law, now he's going to deal with the legalists that basically would remain in bondage to the law and still see that as their hope. And by the way, I think for, for most people, that's the default setting. That's what we fall back into if we're not careful. That I need to be doing something for my salvation. Or... I need to be doing something to keep my salvation. And so he's, he's dealing with that. Let's read in Romans 7. He says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. <clears throat> Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the, the Spirit, and not in the old way, of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you in these moments give us real focus? Will you help us <clears throat> to get to know you better, to hear from you? have ears to hear and hearts that are, are open to your conviction, to your comfort, to your instruction. Will you work among us today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week on uh, Wednesday, I put a quote on 
the city, which for you, those of you visiting with us, that's our communication tool here at St. Andrews. And this was the quote, uh, when Jesus breaks you free from the chains of the law, you're truly free. By the way, um, somebody attributed this to John Calvin, but I couldn't find, I couldn't find it from him, so I'm just going to say it's a quote. I don't know who said it first, uh, but it's a, it's a good quote in any case. Uh, when Jesus breaks you free from the chains of the law, you are truly free. But for some, it is as if the rest of your life you hear the chains of the law dragging behind you, calling to you as if you are still bound to the law. When I first saw that quote, I thought, I, I know so many people where that's the case. So many that either think they've got to work their way to heaven, or they've actually trusted in Christ alone for their eternal life, but they keep falling back into as if they have the chains of the law on their leg and every step they take, it's like this. And they, you, they hear the chains behind them and it's haunting them. And yet Paul wants us to know, don't listen to that. It's false. It's not for real. And so, he addresses uh, the legalist who keeps hearing that clank. And you might be, need to ask yourself, how loud is that in my life? Am I <clears throat> haunted by that? Am I drawn backwards toward that as if I can add to my salvation or I've got to keep working hard or I might be lost. And Paul says no. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are not bound and those chains you hear are false. Don't listen to it. He uses the illustration of marriage. If you look in uh, the first verse there, he says, uh, or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. By the way, when he says, do you not know, what he is saying is, you know this. You guys know this. And so he says, uh, do you not know, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now, he's speaking to those inside the church who profess faith in Christ. And he's continuing to explain why we are not to continue to sin, even though we're under grace and not under the law. So, he uses this illustration of marriage for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, 
She is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. She marries another man. She's not an adulteress. Now, the first thing we need to see with this is what Paul is not teaching. This is not Paul's definitive teaching on divorce, on remarriage. I'm not saying it's wrong. Of course, it's accurate. But he's using an illustration here. You want to see what he has to say about uh, divorce and and remarriage? Uh, You look in 1 Corinthians 7 or Matthew 19 for Jesus' teaching in that case. And that's where we see actual teaching on that subject. Here, he is using it as an illustration that he believed they would understand and we could understand as well. And when you first read it through, you say, what's he saying here? Well, let me put it simply because it is a pretty simple bottom line here. He's basically saying if, if a woman's already married and she marries another man, she's committed adultery. Okay, we get that. But if the husband dies, then the woman remarries. She's not guilty of adultery. When it comes to the law governing marriage, what he's saying is that death breaks all obligations. Sounds obvious when you put it that way. So the, the bottom line is death changes our relationship, our obligation to the law. Now stay with me because you're wondering, well, why would he throw that in here about marriage? It's, it's an illustration. Death changes our relationship with the law. So let's look at why he put that there and what the application of that is for us. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, and here's the application, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. So what he's saying is uh, fitting with the marriage illustration. Here he's saying, you who, who uh, died with Christ, you've died to the law, and therefore you belong to Him. It is as if, here's where the illustration comes in, you are married to Him. We've talked about union with Christ. And, and this is where he's going with this. Now, it might be strange, you know, for, you know, you guys especially think in terms of married to Christ. Don't get hung up on that. Think union with Christ. We have union. Remember, we have union with Christ or union with Adam. But we're raised with Christ in order that we may bear fruit for God. So, what the law, here's the application, what the law couldn't elicit. What it couldn't do for us, 
Christ enables us to do and to be, and that is to bear good fruit for him. Verse 5 then, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So again, he keeps giving us these two sides uh, of his argument. And what he's saying basically is you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear bad fruit that leads to death or good fruit because you are in Christ. But now, he says, verse 6, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So now he's getting specific. He's reminding those that are hearing this clanking of the chains behind them, don't act as if you are dealing with this kind of dichotomy that some people have with uh, uh, keeping things on the out, outside but not worrying about it on the inside. So Jesus says, look, you, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you, if you call your brother a fool, you're guilty of murder. You've, you've heard it said that you don't commit adultery. But I'm, I'm saying to you, if you lust after someone else, then you're guilty of adultery. And so what Jesus is saying is that, that uh, there can't be this outward-only emphasis. Some were so self-satisfied when they saw the law because they said, well, I, I've, I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery and feeling holy, feeling righteous, until Jesus ratchets it up and says, well, wait a minute. What about your heart? And so Jesus never lets us get away with just the outward. But he says, here's, here's what you need to know. Is that the outward needs to match the inward because it's about the heart. And so for those of you that are content with keeping the, the letter of the law, but you don't worry about the spirit of the law, look, you need to know this. It's Yes, absolutely, you keep, keep that letter. But you, if you are in Christ, you are free. And you are free and you don't have to sin any longer. But here's the difference. We have a new motivation. And that motivation isn't because we, we are bound to the law and we've got to keep the law because if we don't keep the law, we will be rejected. But instead, our, our motivation is out of a love. Here's the illustration. 
for our spouse. Our spouse who first showed his love for us by dying for us. So, we've talked about two marriages. Let let me flesh those out just a little bit. In this illustration that Paul uses, no one is single. Everyone's either married to Adam, so to speak. We're in union with Adam. Or married to Christ, spiritually. One way or the other. Secondly, talking about marriage, why, why would he use that illustration? Well, part of it, I think, is because Marriage, whether it's a good marriage or a bad marriage, affects every, absolutely every aspect of our life and our being. If you get married, good marriage or bad marriage, everything is affected. Good marriage affected in a good way. A bad marriage affected in a negative way but it's pervasive, and so he uses this illustration. So let's talk about that, that first marriage. If, if Adam was our federal head, to be married to Adam is to be married to the law as our only hope, and that means we don't have any And that's legalism. It is a dysfunctional marriage. Because here's what it looks like. Your spouse, the law, your spouse has a never-ending list of rules and demands and regulations for you. And that never-ending list produces fear and frustration. If the law is your spouse, if you are still in Adam, your spouse is cold and resentful and is always pointing out your shortcomings your failures. It's picking at you, nagging you, dominating you. If this is where you are today in terms of trying to figure out your your own salvation and you are not in Christ, the good news is there is a better marriage for you. And here's what that marriage looks like. The key to understand is the the only way out of that first marriage, though, is to die. It's the only way out. But the good news is Jesus already died 
And if you trust in him alone, that death was for you. And so you have died to that first marriage. So you're no longer bound by it. You're a criminal. But Jesus has paid the charge for your crime. And you will never be charged for it again. So what's the new marriage look like? If you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. It's a good marriage. It too affects every part of your life. It is life giving. When we become a Christ follower, our relationship changes, our allegiances change. And so back to Paul's question, can we live as we choose or will we live as we choose? And the answer is no, because we are married to Christ. But here's the difference. He's not placing demands upon us. But instead, we are in love with our spouse. He died for us. So because of His love for us and our love for Him then, our obedience becomes joy. Our service becomes a joy. We get pleasure from bringing Him pleasure. As John Stott says, we obey not because the law is our master, but because Jesus is our spouse. So obeying the law is not trying to gain salvation. Our motivation is is not because we are afraid of being rejected, but our motivation is because we are His beloved. And that's our incentive for keeping the law, which is no longer something that threatens us, but it becomes something beautiful to the believer when we are in Christ. And so today, if Christ is your spouse, If you are in Him, trusting in Him alone, He is prepared for you and for Him an intimate meal at a high cost, the cost of His life, but lovingly given for you. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us to to just cut through any difficulty in understanding that to the bottom line of if we are in Christ, we are free in you. And then, Lord, even now, will you prepare our hearts 
for this wonderful fellowship with you at this table that you bought with your own blood. Will you grow us through this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful fellowship with you at this table that you bought with your own blood. Will you grow us through this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.